most people go through the day feeling bad about their work. They're not going to say anything to anybody because, again, they don't really trust that if they say something that's bad about their work, that it will, they'll be put down, they'll be squashed, they'll be smacked down for it. That's what has to be avoided, the freedom to express yourself saying, you know, something's not right. I'm not working in my area of strengths. How can I get help when everybody feels that way? then you've got a self-correcting mechanism. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Dr. Michael J. Marks. Now, Dr. Marks is the president of the Christian Coaching Network. He has an MBA from LSU and a doctor of education in adult education from Regent University. Now, my co-host, John Ramstead, brought Dr. Marks into the Coach's Corner recently and answered a few questions. How do I get better at working in the areas of my strengths? How do I get clarity and get better at delegating to my team? How do I figure out what I want? And how do you build trust among your team? If you've ever asked any of those questions or you know anyone that has asked those questions, you won't want to miss this episode. Here's John with Dr. Marks on this episode of Eternal Leadership's Coach's Corner. We're here today on Coach's Corner with a friend of mine, Michael Marks. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Michael is a certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, and not only that, uh, he's on their their board for ethics and also the president of the Christian Coaches Network, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the Christian Coaches Network also here before we start, Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael, but your background, and I'd love for you to share a little bit. You have such deep experience working with leaders uh, internationally. Uh, business yep. leaders. You teach at uh, Concordia University in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have just incredible experience. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to be on here and share a little bit about yourself here before we, we dive into some, some questions that we've gotten from our listeners. Oh, my pleasure, John. It's uh, amazing the journey that we've taken my wife and I to get here and as tent maker missionaries in Europe, specifically Germany, for 23 years, it was um, always really very essential to be following God's will. It just seems to be the key is when you know your purpose, then everything else kind of falls into place. Um, And purpose in the sense of calling means that Jesus is saying this is what I'm signing off on your purpose. And that makes it really exciting. That caused me when I was in the middle of my, you know, exploratory 20s and 30s to go get an MBA. And um, I felt called to lead a nonprofit. And, you know, John, it's interesting that um, I've worked with nonprofits for, you know, almost 25 years after that. And then I come back to the States and I'm doing what I'm doing here. And suddenly I'm asked to lead a nonprofit, the Christian Coaches Network. So it's interesting to see how the cycle works. God calls you to something, gives you a vision. And then, you know, it works in the way that you thought he was doing it. But then the real, you know, essence of it all comes together. And it's like, you know, wow, actually he prepared for me, me for that 25 years ago. <laughs> that is just kind of amazing. And, mm-hmm. and look what you're doing today. You know, it's interesting talking about your purpose, because I think that is almost mm-hmm. a great backdrop that leads into these questions that I received this week. And uh, first yeah. of all, I thank everybody for getting in touch with us, emailing me questions, 
uh, posting on our Facebook page, which is Eternal Leadership there on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was definitely a theme this week. So I'm pulling together two questions that really came from quite a few. Um, mm-hmm. And here's what they are. The first one is, as a business owner, how do I get better at working in the areas of my strengths? Mm-hmm. And the other one, which I, I think is related, there was three on this exact same topic. How do I get more clarity on my priorities and get better at delegating to my team so we our company can move forward? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start mm-hmm. with that? So just think about how you would coach, uh, you, very experienced coach that you are, a client mm-hmm. that's come to you and just is struggling with their priorities, you know, working in their strengths, you know, working better mm-hmm. with their team. Right, right. When you talk about your strengths, um, we're talking about power, strength, energy. And the key is self-awareness. Most people are really very unaware of what happens inside them. And you know, this is really interesting because I'm an MBA and I come from a very logical background. I work with financial people. We're all pretty you know, cookie cutter as far as figuring things out. That and analytical in, mind? Yeah, you know, real hardcore contracting coaching and business coaching and um when i when i say that i mean you know it's just amazing that that really quickly becomes life coaching and i've never had a client that within three or four sessions we're not into life coaching because there's just so much more to it and so in this logical mba environment i'm discovering people that really want to figure out what's going on inside them that kind of opened up the door for me to coaching before i knew i was a coach i started investigating the um aspect of what's happening with my clients here they're they're asking for more than Logic. They're asking for more than analysis. They're asking for more than consulting. What is that? And I discovered that what they're really wanting to know is what is happening inside me? Where do I generate from within me what's going to make a difference in my team and specifically in my life and my feeling for my life balance? What we end up finding, though, is that it comes, strength comes down to energy. What gives you energy, what takes away your energy? And the first place I would go with any client is to really have them go into themselves and look at when I do this, when I talk to clients, that is stoking me or that is draining me. When I do the bookkeeping, that is stoking me or that is draining me. When I, you know, do nothing that energizes me. Or it makes me feel like I'm not being productive. Interesting. So you're asking people to just go inside themselves and just figure out where are the areas of their life right now uh, they're just connecting with who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So so two, what? So we, oh, go ahead. Two questions that most people uh, that the business people that I coach with just could ask themselves a lot when they really get good at answering to themselves these two questions things will fall into place. One, what do I want? And two, how do I feel? Hmm. So when somebody answers that question, what do I want? That's a hard question. That's just not a simple answer. How do you lead people through to clarity on that? 
Exactly. When that's where we kind of started this conversation, John, was with calling. Um, I think that if you're aligned with your calling purpose, you know what you're here for, you know why you exist and what your contribution to the planet is, you're going to have an automatic filter that's going to say, this is where it's going. It's kind of like a um, funnel. You know, you put things in there, there's a filter with your calling in there, but it's funneling it down to a streamline. When it goes through that funnel, it's going through with a lot of energy. When you want something that is especially what God wants, there's power there. So, is, you know, as people start to get clarity, Michael, on what we talked about, on what they want, uh, that purpose, mm-hmm. that calling, how do you help somebody in that business setting that really in that you know business mode when they're at work really want to work in their strengths they're being pulled away from working in their strengths today exactly john that's you know the essence of the question to know what those strengths are and when i do this it's going to be good it's going to be efficient it's going to be right it's going to be complete and when i do those things that are not my strengths i'm going to waffle i'm going to be unsure I'm not going to be able to make clear decisions. I'm not going to feel confident. Working in your strength is knowing that, one, you're in the right place, doing the right thing. The strength area, like let's go back to those examples, accounting or uh, speaking with clients or um, presenting in front of a group. Does that drain you? Does that stoke you? When you know those type of things, you can delegate those ones that are not yours. Um, a lot of people, I myself get really stoked when it comes to presenting. Other people would rather die <laughs> right. than give a presentation. I mean, I think the statistics in the United States say that 54% would rather die than give a presentation in front of a large group. You know, it's just kind of scary to a lot of people. So are there other people in your group on your team that are good at it, that like it, that get energized from it? What's wrong with letting them present? So what what are some things you've found, Michael, as you work with people to help them really get in touch with those strengths? I mean, so they can write them down and look at them and say, yeah, I agree with this list right here. Uh, Again, you know, I'll always refer back to calling because when you know that this is your mission in life, you have a mission statement. I'm here to help people do X and Y. You know, one of mine is I'm helping people to find a life of integrity and purpose. And when somebody asks me to do anything, I can filter it against that. You know, that's such a great... uh statement because you know i i worked with a coach personally and mm-hmm. came up with kind of my calling this spring which is to use my life to equip and inspire leaders to work in god's kingdom and there's been a lot of opportunities and things that are tangential to what i'm doing now that didn't completely line up to that but then i had to filter this framework on whether to say on how to say yes or no mm-hmm and, and I think that leads us to the really the questions of priorities, right? How do you then translate if, I, if I'm in touch with my calling and my strengths? Like I said, mm-hmm. it took me working with a coach to really have a good uh, understanding of those. But then how do I translate that out into priorities and in, in how I spend my day? Yeah, that is very important here. I think it's useful 
to know how you process things. I process visually, so I like to put it all on a piece of paper. My life at the moment is not containable on one piece of paper. I tried it the other day, and I came up with 239 different things that I could decide on on any given day. And that ended up being over eight pieces of paper. That's visual here. Um, when you are processing things through a more um, auditory mode here, you have to talk to people. Then are you an internal processor or an external processor? If you're an external processor, you need to have people in your group that you can talk to that'll listen. If you're an internal processor, you need to have people that will advise you and then give you space to retreat and think about things before you have to make the decision. These are things that you have to know. If you are someone that is a kinesthetic processor, it's unlikely that you're listening to this call because you're not <laughs> still enough to, to process it. But it's possible that you might be one of those people that really needs to have their body doing something before they can process that. Then you need to move. You need to shake. You need to walk. You need to cycle. You need to play tennis and work on your decision-making processes while you're doing that in motion. Um, it's really interesting to find that people, when they find their groove, can come up with the most amazing ways of actually generating the good ideas. I work with one person who, because of fibromyalgia, she was just really limited in the way she could process than she was used to. And we worked on it to the point where she suddenly found that when she paints watercolor, then all of the good ideas flow through her hands onto the canvas. And it was so beautiful. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was it. The coaching was over. It's like, thank you, Michael. I'll send you the check. It's done. You know, and that was great um, because she found what she needed from me as a coach. And then we could she could move on with her life. And, you know, since then, I've been getting great emails from her. But um, she only just needed to find her processing mode, which in her case was watercolor. Great. You know, so before you get to the processing mode, if I understand this process, mm -hmm. uh, and this is uh, great to hear because this is exactly how I work with my clients, is really getting clarity on, you know, you know, what, really what gives you energy, right? What I call it, the juice, right? What what feels yep. what feels good, and then you're you're combining that with your the goals that you have in life, and maybe with relationships and your faith. And then once you understand your strengths and how you process, take the time, because uh, sometimes it's counterintuitive to be less busy so that the busyness that we have is more productive, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But uh, um, any, you know, before we move on, because I know you had a question that came from one of your clients, any final thoughts on this, how to work in your strengths, clarity on priorities, and delegate better to my team for this person? Well, we didn't really address the um, team aspect of things other than when I mentioned you want to give away those areas that drain you. And the good thing about that is delegation should be a feedback loop. Delegation doesn't mean give away, never see again. Delegation means um, do it for me, report back to me in an orderly way. You have to have accountability. You have to have time frames. There really needs to be a clear description as to what the person's supposed to do, when and how they're supposed to feed back to you. And when that's there, you can trust the person 
And this, that's a segue to the one that I wanted to mention that you brought up about my clients, trust. Um, trust the person to get it done. Compliment what they do right. If it's missing, don't worry about that. Whatever is not there can be done in another iteration as long as you're slicing and dicing the iterations to a place where both of you are comfortable with. That's really a negotiation. If you're not comfortable negotiating that type of delegation, you're going to have a problem. In other words, you might be a so-called control freak. You don't want to negotiate away the control because you don't feel comfortable with that. Then you're simply going to be left doing it all by yourself. And when you're burned out at the end of the year, it's your own fault. <laughs> so, Well, you, you know, delegating, uh, I think you bring up a great point because there is – and I've learned this through trial and error. Is, mm -hmm. Let's say I want to delegate something to you. I realize this is not an area of my strength. And we have a conversation. And what I'm doing is more of setting an expectation of what I want you to do. But mm -hmm. until there's an agreement. But, you know, the final part of that conversation for as a leader to be able to have, to not be frustrated and to be able to have your team do what you're expecting and also... Uh, for you to do what your team expects you to do as part of this. It mm -hmm. has to come also down to here's what I agree to do for you to accomplish this task. Here's what you're agreeing to do for me to do this. And then here's how we're going to get back together and, and check on this. Exactly. I, I think that mm -hmm. final piece of communication is missing so often in business is a subtle thing. Uh, but I've seen it completely change the dynamics of how a team operates and then also starts building trust because uh, I'm not wondering what Michael wants or is he going to like this or am I meeting, you know, the standards that I, I think that you're doing. And then when you have lack of clarity, uh, the team tends to not really move forward in a productive way. I would encourage all leaders to ask the person they're delegating to how, not what, how do you want to feed back to me? And I think a lot of the tension comes simply in that the person is trying to feed back to you in what they're f familiar with. You're just not knowing that that is exactly the feedback and you miss it. Tension rises, stress increases. When it's clear that the person's going to give you a report, he wants a five-minute meeting on Friday, he wants to uh, chat about it over lunch, that's when we're going to give you the feedback on these type of things. The feedback's going to be in numbers, the feedback's going to be in words, the feedback's going to be in pictures. The mode of feedback I find to be the key to a lot of tension for delegating because the leader doesn't feel like it's getting done Really, in essence, it's getting done. He just doesn't have the way to see it. Oh, it's kind of like your example before. If I'm an audio audible processor and I'm a, and I'm an internal processor, but you're very visual and you're very extroverted, mm -hmm. you might be communicating back to me in a way that you think is very natural, and you're not connecting at all. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, if we have an agreement about how we're going to present that feedback, then everybody's going to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's it, John. We have to be flexible with the other person's two questions. What do they want and how do they feel? I like that. Well, with the uh, time that we have, let's, uh, let's roll into the question that you had. Uh, I know you had a really good one, really, about uh, teams and building trust and, you know, that aspect. Yeah. How do you build trust 
among your constituents. Um, and when you asked me to think about that, John, an example came to my mind really even before I knew that I was coaching um, of a department head, brand new department head, young guy, uh, was brought in to be a change manager in his company. And so he had to present to the other department heads a significant change that would involve work for everybody. And it was going to be very controversial. He knew that if he didn't get his presentation to sing, he was gone. It was a do or die presentation. So I was called in to help him, to coach him through that. And the presentation part was easy. Well, I noticed that he was really nervous about were the potential questions. And so he became um, very much paranoid about the other department heads who were older, more experienced, um, and his younger constituents in his own department that were going to enforce his change um, who were less experienced, the buy-in from everybody. And we went in, we went through about a three-week cycle of um, questions and answers. In other words, I hit him with every possible hard question that I could think of. And he gave his presentation, and he has been, for the last 10 years, one of my best advocates. He's sent me so much business, it's just amazing. And uh, we coached for you know, a long time, about a year or more. Um, and what happened was that in the sparring process, he could know that I'm asking him questions because I'm really concerned about him getting it right. I am providing for him a safe environment for him to, without feeling threatened, answer these questions, think through the answers, get it right. Like I said, that was all before I knew anything about coaching, and I started researching that. John, it has just been amazing. Would you believe that that level of trust between two people is what's going to allow people to bond, grow, and be loyal to each other to the point where productivity will actually increase beyond any monetary measure? And what we're talking about here is um, more than just team building. We're talking about real um, – and you're uh, a, a military person. You understand what it really means to be so committed to somebody that success is the only option. Their success and your success and your own priorities become um, everyone's priorities. It becomes a corporate team effort. You know, when that happens in a department, when that happens in your group, there's real power there. And people start delegating because they know Frank in – he's just the accounting guy. He's going to crunch these numbers in such a way that I can't even begin to crunch them. So as soon as I get this number question, it's going to Frank and he's going to give it back to me with good feedback. I know exactly how Frank is going to feedback the number crunched to me and we're all going to understand it. It's going to be, you know, kind of like a, a, a group, um, 
you know, a group movement, I, I want to say a dance of, of multiple people that are all on the same page, listening to the same music, dancing to the same rhythm, and nobody looks, you know, out of sorts. So if you're part of a team, Michael, that's all dancing to their own music, and, they, and they're all doing a different dance step, as mm-hmm. a leader of the group or a member of that group with influence, how do you bring everybody to the same sheet of music? Yeah, you know, that's just the point is to find each person's strengths and to um, find if, if you're not able to assess the complete picture of your department, your group, your area of responsibility, how big or small that is, then maybe you need to hire someone else that does find what strengths are missing and see if you can get a person with those on board. Usually, almost everything is there, and it's, what's missing is minor. And as your department grows and makes the resources, in other words, the money to afford a new person, then you can start bringing on the, uh, the people that are missing. Well, you know, with an existing team, and you said a lot of these shifts to move toward trust are minor. What, what are some of those shifts that you've seen that people have made that have had the, some significant results? That's an excellent question. A typical shift is when a person realizes that they don't have to um, feel bad about their work. They can feel good about their work. And that sounds really simple, and it is. However, most people go through the day feeling bad about their work. They're not going to say anything to anybody because again they don't really trust that if they say something that's bad about their work that it will they'll be put down they'll be squashed they'll be smacked down for it that's what has to be avoided the freedom to express yourself saying you know something's not right i'm not working in my area of strengths how can i get help when everybody feels that way then you've got a self-correcting mechanism. In other words, you know, th- this, this dance becomes um, self-evaluating where the people on the floor notice that it's not right and not just the spectators. So it's really about creating a safe environment. So if I'm working on a project and I'm really struggling, I might be, have to miss a deadline, uh, have the, the culture, create the culture that mm-hmm. I can go to you and say, I don't have the answers here. I need some help. This, this is not an area that uh, I can pull this together on. But sometimes uh, it's a smaller team and you do have to get it done. So what do you do at that right. point? Again, when people know what they want, then it's, and you're the leader. Again, we're addressing the leaders here. Um, the leader would say, okay, I know I need an extra effort this week. Until Friday, this is going to be you know, pretty tough. We're going to work 14-hour days. Um, and you know the reward system, what makes the other people tick. Frank, in accounting, he likes time off. He likes to golf. Um, Sam, he likes you know, vacation days. So we'll just take those extra hours and give them vacation days you know sally what she really wants is a new desk um and you find those reward structures that are going to help people bridge the gap for the temporary you can't push people at 140 percent all the time but you can for a while if you can 
give them a break later on. You know, uh, other times we're going to be at 100%, but there's going to be other times when you can come in at 60% and we'll balance all that out, and that's good. So to know the rewards that people need for their motivations, what makes them feel that it's good? Well, I, you know, and I think the root of that, Michael, is really understanding the people of your on your team as not just colleagues or office mates, but just as people. Uh, I think knowing their stories you know, their values, how they communicate is in, that's what I coach clients on. Also, this is the first step forward to really working with a team that has that environment. Like you talked about, I came out of the military, right? We all trusted mm-hmm. each other implicitly because mm-hmm. our lives depended on each other. Exactly. So I might not be your biggest fan or even really like you, but I know I can trust you because I know who you are. I know what you're about and I know I can count on you. And that does that is missing, I think, a lot in traditional business. But the yeah. fir- so the first step toward moving in that direction, creating that amazing culture, that amazing team is really everybody knowing each other as people, what's important to them and link the outcomes to what you talked about, something that might be very unique to Frank or, or Sam or so forth. And knowing their strengths. I mean, if you're going to depend on somebody to be your point man, you have to know that he's a good point man. And that is the strength that he's bringing to the equation here. You're willing to do your job and your strength because you know the other bases are covered. And again, knowing the people, yeah, what their values are, that's important. And knowing their strengths and knowing their um, their, their tolerance level, you know, how much can they do in a given situation here? It's really so that not everybody works at, in the same way. And we often expect that simply everyone is going to be productive in the same way that we are familiar with and demand that type of productivity. Other people might do much better if you just give them a home office and let them, you know, come to the office once or twice a week. And the rest of the time, they're doing telecommuting, uh, working from their home base where they can, I don't know, play with their dog or work in their garden in between here. That will actually increase their productivity. These are the type of things that we need to know. And the more flexible that we can work with, the better it is that doesn't have to be expensive because what I get back is like, you know, oh, I set up a tele-office for my um, assistant. You know, that would be really expensive. Not necessarily. If you really start looking at what people are willing to produce when they're in an environment that they're very safe with, because you brought that up, they have to feel safe to make the mistakes and to launch forward and to experiment and to produce, then they're going to be productive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as we wrap up here, I really hope the people listening, we answered the questions that you sent in. And, you know, based on this conversation, Michael, any kind of key th- takeaways that you want to leave with somebody as you just think about what we, we chatted about here? Yeah. You know, something I brought up, John, is I said a couple of times before I knew I was a coach, um, I started researching what I was doing and um, started taking university courses and all this to find what I was doing and discovered that I was a coach. But what I really discovered was that in the one-to-one environment, 
um, nobody really knew what produced learning in the one-to-one environment. Believe it or not, John, it hadn't been researched. And uh, a university president said, well, Michael, you do the research. So I, I did the research, John. And uh, why when people are working one-to-one together is the amount of production and learning higher? And I was kind of disappointed with the results that I found, but it's what I've already been saying for this last you know, half hour or so. It's trust. In an intimate environment, the trust is higher. And when there are other people watching, and let's be clear on this here, the adult is very afraid of being embarrassed. And when you can circumvent that embarrassment and make them feel that they, do n- they don't have to be embarrassed in the group or individually or whatever it takes for that person to feel, I can be myself and it's okay. Then their level of learning, their level of understanding, and ultimately their level of productivity will be much higher. Not to mention loyalty. Yeah, I think loyalty stems from people that you know you can trust. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thanks for kind of pulling everything together there, Michael. You know, as we close, I'd love for you to just share uh, about the Christian Coaches Network International uh, that mm-hmm. you're running. And also, you're on faculty at the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, and which is where we met when I took a course from you. Yep. So maybe you can share a little bit about that and then how people can get in touch with you. Right. Um, PCCI is a my favorite place to recommend people learn for life coaching like i said even if you are a business or an executive coach like myself um it's all going to come down to life coaching anyway that's that's part of what you're going to do so great place for that the christian perspective is really essential because that lines you up with where we started this conversation god's calling for your life And this is what we want to do at the Christian Coaches Network. We want to be um, not a place where you get training, but where you can find training. We can find all of the resources you need to be a good Christian coach. I'm not saying that you have to coach Christians. Um, A lot of our members are coaching Christians, but a lot of them are not. Like myself, I really don't coach many Christians. I usually coach in the um, so-called secular world, But with the Christian worldview and how to do that and the resources, the training, what you would need in order to be good at that is what we have with CCNI. And last point I'll mention with that is to ask yourself as a coach or as a consumer of coaching, what credentials do they hold if you're expecting them to have a um, good coaching competency They need an ICF credential and the same level of competency with a world, a Christian worldview would be what they would get from CCNI. So I would encourage consumers as well as coaches to look at their credentialing. It is a good opportunity to say this person is certifiably um, going to help me where I need to be helped. And it's not kind of a, how should I say, um, uh, wannabe someone that just uses the word coach because 
that word coach is really kicked around too much these days for anybody that wants to monetize what they think they can do well. And there is a profession behind it. That's my message. Right. Well, I, I'm glad you shared that because I, I, I think those are very important. Those were when I first started looking for coaching, That that's how I went through the process. That's the the I guess the qualities I was looking for in somebody both competent and shared my worldview and mm -hmm. had a track record of, you know, helping people get results and get velocity in their life toward like what we're talking about today, clarity on their strengths and, and you know, working better in their priorities. So how do people get in touch with you, Michael? Um, yeah, let's just stay with the Christian Coaches Network International, which is ChristianCoaches.com. Michael at ChristianCoaches.com or info at ChristianCoaches.com, one word. And that would be, you know, a real easy access to me. I'd be happy to talk to anyone about anything regarding coaching. Ethics is one of my big areas. Like you mentioned, I'm on the ICF um, community of practice as the leader of the uh, ethics talk it's a it's an open group really anyone can join and um discuss ethical issues as well as the um uh the international neuroscience management education is also something that i'm into um those are some of those areas where i can help people especially f taking risks and learning to be more risky in their lives. That's kind of my clientele, people that want to learn to take more risks. Well, fantastic. Thank you. And, and everybody, please feel free to reach out and get in touch with Michael with any questions. And if you go to our website on, on the post for this episode and leave us a comment on there, Michael uh, uh, can get in touch with you also that way, reply to your comment and also on our, our Facebook page. So if anybody hears this and has a question or this piqued any any thoughts we would love to just serve you any way we can get in touch with you follow up is we will definitely do that so thank you again michael for your time and this has been fabulous okay john thank you for inviting me great insight if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode please share it with them and if you'd like more information about dr marx's coaching practice the christian coaching network which dr marx is the president the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, or my co-host John Ramstead's executive coaching practice, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 025, and there we'll have all those links and a lot more in our show notes. Just go to eternalleadership.com slash 025. You can also find that link embedded in the description of this MP3 if you're listening on a smartphone tablet or your computer rather than enter eternalleadership.com slash 025 you can just click the link in this mp3 and it'll take you right to that page special thanks to justin jeffrey for his editing and production help on this episode next time on eternal leadership a special message from michael hyatt's amazing co-host michelle kashat we can come into this room we can stay at this big fancy hotel and we can dress up in our suits and our nice clothes and we have combed hair and we smell nice and we look nice. But all it takes is just a, a snarky blog comment, a ruthless critic, a terrible product launch, a writing rejection. And then all of a sudden, we aren't sure if we matter anymore. 
We'll hear Michelle's message called Three Truths You Need to Know About Who You Are. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.